Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the As Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and today I want to talk about ovarian cysts. Now, let's be honest. A large part of my job as a fertility doctor is to do ultrasounds. You may not know it, but every day when I'm in clinic, I'm doing somewhere between 20 to 40 ultrasounds. We do ultrasounds at the beginning of cycles when patients want to do treatment, when we just get a baseline evaluation as we monitor how the cycle is going, or if something clinically is not making sense. So I love ultrasound. Also, part of the REI, or the Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility Fellowship, which is three years long, half of it is research and half of it is clinical. And a large part, probably like one of the top jobs of those clinical years, is to become an amazing vaginal ultrasonographer. So when you go to the fertility doctor, you often won't see ultrasonographers or other people doing ultrasound. Sometimes you will. That's how clinics are structured and that's fine. But as a fertility doctor, we literally did thousands and thousands of ultrasound so that we can interpret it the best. So I will never trust anybody else's ultrasound as much as I will trust my own. And every day I will tell somebody, I see a cyst. And the look on their face when they hear the word cyst, it's terrifying. And I understand this because what does that mean? What does that mean for my body, my cycle, my hormones? And so that's really what I want to cover today. I want to explain what a cyst is, when a cyst is normal or functional, when a cyst is problematic, what you need to seek care for, what is PCOS, and just anything that has this cyst word in it so we can understand this component of our ovaries a little bit better because I know it is so confusing. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about this week's Fertility in the News. In today's Fertility in the News, let's talk about Netflix's Our Father. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but Our Father is the story. It's a documentary following Jacoba Ballard, who after taking a DNA test, learns that she has over 50 half-siblings and her biological father is actually her mother's fertility doctor, Dr. Klein. This is just terrifying. It actually has a name in the fertility world. This is called fertility fraud. These siblings in this scenario have lived in the same community near Indiana. And as the news starts to break, it starts to make everybody question who else is a sibling? What about when people are dating? And it really makes you understand how terrible a crime fertility fraud is. Now, I have had somebody on the podcast before. So I have personal experience because a friend of mine, Eve Wiley, has been on the podcast, a prior episode called Fertility Fraud. And you can hear her story where she talks about her son having some medical conditions and taking a 
23andMe test and finding out she had a lot of siblings as well. And in Eve's story, she started to trace it all back and found out that her mom's fertility doctor used his own sperm to inseminate her with instead of the donor sperm that they had purchased. It is gross and it really gives you a gut reaction to hear somebody's personal story. And even more so, that doctor is still practicing. It wasn't illegal. There was no crime per se committed. There was no statute. So Eve has worked to try to make fertility fraud a thing that can be punishable. What we realize by watching our father is just the personal side to the story and how it is important to really think about donor conception and making sure that things are done ethically and responsibly. And Dr. Klein, the doctor in our father, is not the only doctor to inseminate his own sperm into their patient. Listen to this, you're going to die. There are at least 40 other doctors who have been caught for this same crime inseminating their own sperm into their patient without their consent here in the U.S. So not that I ever want to approach medicine and give people fear. I do think this is an area exposing where reproductive care and taking care of gametes is so important. And it's really important to understand the ethics of a clinic, how they care for gametes, that's sperms and egg, making sure that, you know, they do things that are an FDA-approved lab, that they comply with SART. These are really important things showing that they get inspected and they follow standard guidelines. I also think it's a fair question to say, how do you keep my samples separate? And what you typically should see in an IVF lab setting and even in an andrology, which is sperm lab, that things at different stages are kept in different areas. So for embryos, embryos at different days are kept in different incubators. They're labeled by color and by name. Some places use AI to help make sure that things are kept identified to the patient at hand. Although a clinic could tell you anything, right? And could a fertility doctor still be inseminating you with their own sperm? This is so gross and scary to think about. Even though anybody could tell you whatever they want, I think that obviously fraud in this level is going to be a thing of the past because of these genetic testing. There's also no such thing as really anonymous donation anymore with genetic screening and the advances that we're going to see in that realm. However, I think using a clinic that's ethical, asking about their guidelines, what policies do they follow? Are they a SART member? As a physician, I just can't imagine that other people would do this as another physician. You know, our first oath is do no harm. However, I understand there are some bad people who become doctors and some narcissistic people who have this weird sense of entitlement. And that must be what this is. If you watch the documentary, I want to hear your thoughts. I really think, though, the thing that got me the most listening to Eve's story on the fertility fraud episode is that how this wasn't illegal, how her dad, I'm putting that in quotes, her biological dad, her mom's fertility doctor who did this is still practicing here in Texas. And that to me is what's unexcusable. Why have you not lost your license? Why is this not illegal? Why are you not paying, you know, money? Let's just be transparent. If you assist somebody in helping them understand where to get an abortion or where to get abortion pills in certain states, 
you could be charged with a felony or a $100,000 fine soon. However, some of these people who use their own sperm to inseminate their own patients are practicing with no consequence. That to me is unacceptable. And that to me is a huge breakdown in protecting reproductive rights of all people. All right, well, let's dive into the topic at hand, ovarian cysts. Okay, again, I will often say cyst is a four-letter word that freaks people out, and I understand it. But number one, some cysts are normal. If you are ovulating, you're having cysts. That's perfectly, perfectly normal. That's actually a part of the menstrual cycle and human reproduction. So if you get told that you have an ovarian cyst, big deep breath. Okay, let's dive into what's normal and then we'll go on to the cause for concern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited that summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. My favorite analogy helps people understand this. I want you to imagine that inside the ovary, is a vault where all your eggs are kept. At the start of a month, a group of eggs comes out of that vault and each of these eggs grows inside a small fluid-filled structure called a follicle. But these follicles are cysts. That's the definition of cyst. If you go and you look up what is a cyst, the definition is a small sac-like pocket containing fluid, air, or other substance. So cysts can go all over your body and so fluid-filled 
structures inside your ovaries, which are follicles. Each follicle has an egg. Each of those follicles is a cyst. Totally normal. Everybody has them if you have ovaries. Now, what happens in the menstrual cycle is the brain sends out a well-named hormone called FSH or follicle-stimulating hormone. FSH works to stimulate one of these follicles to grow. As that follicle grows and develops, the egg inside matures and makes estrogen. And that follicle becomes a follicular cyst, also known as a functional cyst. It's one of the types of functional cysts, and it makes estrogen. So that's where the estrogen comes from, that cyst surrounding the growing egg. If you go through fertility treatments, we measure those follicles. That's part of what we do. And those follicles get bigger as the egg gets more mature. So if you're in the follicular phase of your cycle and you go to the emergency room, oh, I have abdominal pain, and you have an ultrasound or CAT scan and somebody says, oh, there's a cyst on your right ovary. And you think, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. There's a cyst. Oh, where are you in your cycle? Are you in the first days between when your period starts and when you're supposed to ovulate? That's the follicular phase. And if you're in the follicular phase and we see a simple fluid-filled cyst, that's a follicle. It's making estrogen. It's functional. Totally not problematic. Very, very normal. Somebody going through fertility treatment will often have multiple follicles. Now, what happens is when that egg is mature, your brain knows this by a high estrogen level. That estrogen triggers the brain to release a hormone called LH or luteinizing hormone, and it releases it initially in a big surge, like a lot of it at once. And that surge allows the follicle or the cyst to rupture. And that's how the egg comes out. A ruptured cyst happens with ovulation. Now, same thing. You can see the cyst collapses and you can sometimes see some free fluid that spilt out from the cyst in the abdominal cavity. So if you have an intense pain and you go to the ER and you get imaging done, they say you had a ruptured cyst and you're like, oh my gosh, that sounds terrible. A ruptured cyst is ovulation. They're the same thing. Ovulation equals ruptured cyst. That's how the egg gets out of that cyst or that follicle. Isn't that crazy? There's nothing fancy. It ruptures, egg comes out, and then hopefully the egg gets sucked up by that fallopian tube. Now that ruptured cyst actually reforms. So after it lets the egg out, it collapses, and then it reforms. And stimulated by LH from the brain, LH then comes in pulses throughout what's known as the luteal phase. That cyst reforms and becomes a more solid, fat-like looking cyst filled with some blood called the corpus luteum. And now its job is switched from making estrogen to making progesterone. That's what the corpus luteum does. And so if you're in the luteal phase of the cycle, the time from ovulation until your next period or a positive pregnancy test, you have an ultrasound done and we see a cyst called the corpus luteum, also very normal. This cyst looks different on ultrasound. It has a more solid looking appearance. It looks kind of blood or grayish on ultrasound. And we can tell a corpus luteum from a follicle. They look different. Now, sometimes, so interesting, what happens is that when that cyst ruptures with ovulation, it can actually rupture on a part of the ovary that has a blood vessel because the ovaries have blood vessels. And you can get some bleeding either into the cyst or outside your body. And that's also known as a hemorrhagic cyst when it fills up with lots of blood. These can be painful. I am not saying that they are not, but it is still a part of normal ovulation. If somebody has very large functional cysts, so a corpus luteum or a follicular cyst, these are the two types of functional cysts. 
and it's causing pain, recurrent pain every month, getting very large, or it's hemorrhagic, that corpus luteum just has a lot of blood inside. And we want to try to prevent this from happening again. The easiest way is to try to prevent ovulation. And so this is in its simplest and cheapest form with birth control pills. And so this is sometimes why people who have a cyst get put on birth control pills. Or if you have recurrent cysts, we'll put you on birth control pills. Or if you come to see me and we're trying to do fertility treatments and we find out you have a cyst, I'll often put somebody on a short course of birth control because they're fast acting. You can stop them and they're out of your body, but they stop the brain from sending out FSH or LH, which are the hormones that stimulate functional cysts to make more hormones. So if I cut off that hormone signal from the brain, the cyst is no longer getting stimulated and then it will die. Important note, two really quickly, the corpus luteum makes progesterone in pulsatile fashion, meaning there's no set progesterone level that is normal for the luteal phase. Any level higher than three nanograms per milliliter means that you ovulate. It can range between three to 40. Also, the corpus luteum is essential. It makes progesterone essential for a pregnancy. So that early pregnancy that comes and starts to implant before the placenta is developed, which is around nine to 10 weeks, the pregnancy is 100% dependent on progesterone production from the corpus luteum. And a really interesting, very old study in monkeys, I think, went and took out the corpus luteum in early pregnancy. And what happened is those pregnancies all miscarried because they didn't have progesterone support. Progesterone is essential. If you have to have surgery to remove a cyst in early pregnancy, which sometimes does happen from something called ovarian torsion or twisting of the ovary, then you need to be put on progesterone until you're at least 10 weeks. That's standard of care. Because of that reason, the corpus luteum supports that ongoing pregnancy. That's also why anti-progesterone medications can cause a termination or an abortion or can help resolve a pregnancy because of that essentialness of the progesterone until the placenta takes over. Once the placenta takes over, it's on its own, and the placenta is going to make its own progesterone as well as many, many other hormones. So those are functional cysts. Now, not all cysts are functional. So what about other types of cysts? Before I go into the nitty-gritty of lots of cysts, I want to first talk about PCOS, or polycystic ovarian syndrome. Personally, I think this is the most poorly named disease that there could be. PCOS is terribly named. Okay, so the reason why I hate this name is it makes you feel like these cysts are all the problem and you need to go get rid of these cysts and then everything can be better. So the way I like to think about PCOS is if you imagine that that vault inside the ovary was really full, what we know is that the more full the vault is, the more eggs it sends out every month. And the less full the vault is, the less eggs come out every month. We can measure that, and that's called ovarian reserve, and helps us understand where you are in the process of reproductive aging or running out of eggs or success rates with IVF, because IVF is based on how many eggs you get and how old you are. This is with AMH or an antral follicle count. So the take-home message, though, is when there's more eggs in the vault, more come out. If you can imagine for me that PCOS is a problem or you have too many eggs in your vault, then what happens is every month you have a high number of eggs coming out of the vault. Now, the brain has no idea what's going on down in the ovary, so it sends out its regular amount of FSH. It's normal signal 
which is just exactly right to get one egg to grow. And what happens is that signal gets diluted amongst all of the eggs and therefore none of them grow. The ovary, however, is a hormone-making factory. It loves to make hormones. Estrogen is its favorite, favorite hormone to make. But when it can't make estrogen, it then gets bored and it starts to respond to LH from the brain and make testosterone. And then that positive feedback loop means the brain sends out more LH and the ovary makes more testosterone. And then testosterone can cause some of the other symptoms that we see, which can be acne, hair growth, weight gain around the central abdominal area, insulin resistance, and overall metabolic dysfunction. So I like to think of PCOS as an endocrine disorder of your ovary, not caused by the cyst that you should go and try to get rid of to make it better. However, it is an endocrine, a hormonal dysfunction, just like if your thyroid gland wasn't working. Your ovary is not responding to signals from the brain. And for the most part, there's probably very little you did to cause this. There is some induced PCOS or it can be made even worse if you are overweight because fat cells make estrogen, which causes the brain to send out even less FSH. So it becomes amplified. And in that group of people, if you lose a small amount of body weight, your estrogen will drop, the brain will send out a higher signal of FSH, and it may help restore normal ovulation. So that's why you see some people talking about weight loss as a strategy for PCOS. But a lot of people with PCOS are not overweight. It's just a true ovarian dysfunction problem, and it's not the cysts. So I just want to clear that up because it has the word cyst in the name, and I know that is so confusing. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No my shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Okay, let's dive into some non-functional cysts and not PCOS. One type of cyst is called a dermoid. These are also called teratomas. And this is a moment where I wish the podcast was visual because these cysts contain multiple embryologic hair tissue cells, such as hair, skin, and teeth. They're almost never cancerous. They have a lot of fat in them and they're yellow. So if we roll back the clock to when I was in residency and we did a lot of surgeries for these, you take out the dermoid or the teratoma. And if you open it up, it can have scalp and hair glands and teeth and all this fatty yellow material. It's outrageous. You did not cause these and they can be found. We typically monitor them. So very large dormoids may be taken out because they can cause pain. 
And because if they are so fat filled, their their fluid is fat, which floats almost, your ovary is at risk for ovarian torsion. Ovarian torsion is a twisting of the ovary on its own blood supply. So think about the ovary almost like a tetherball. And if it gets twisted, then you're restricting the blood supply that can go to that ovary and it can become necrotic. And that's acute, intense pain. And it can kill all the tissue in the ovary. So if these teratomas become very big, we often want to go and take them out to avoid putting you at risk for that happening. Typically, that's around four to five centimeters in size. And in reference, a normal functional cyst in the cycle is going to be about two centimeters in size. So this is more than double of that when we become worried. They're usually very slow growing. We tend to monitor them with ultrasound. So your doctor will come up with a plan for you if it's not causing pain and just an incidental finding. There's no rush to go take them out because they're such a low incidence of cancer. Removing cysts like this can decrease your egg count in that ovary. So we always want to think about your family planning goals. And sometimes the cysts can get very large and destroy the other remaining ovarian tissue. And so some people have to have the entire ovary removed and not just the cyst. We also will still stimulate people, whether it's ovulation induction or IVF cycles, with dermoids in place so they don't prohibit anything from us moving forward. Okay, another type of cyst is known as an endometrioma. An endometrioma is a cyst seen specifically with people who have endometriosis. Now, endometriosis is another disease that is commonly misunderstood. Endometriosis is where there's endometrial cell-like implants in areas that are outside the uterus. So the endometrium is the lining of the uterus that you bleed off every month. When you have cells that are similar to the endometrium growing in outside the uterus in the abdominal cavity, these cells are hormonally responsive, as is the endometrium. They grow in response to estrogen. They become stimulated, can lead to scar tissue, pain, destruction of anatomy. Now, endometriosis cannot be diagnosed without surgery. It's a surgical diagnosis only right now. We sometimes think or suspect somebody has endometriosis based on their symptoms, but the caveat to that is that stage four endometriosis, which is the most severe of the stages, one of the findings of stage four disease may be an endometrioma. And endometriomas can be viewed on imaging. So even though I tell people I can't diagnose endometriosis without surgery, sometimes I can if I do an ultrasound and I see an endometrioma. An endometrioma, that follicle grows as the egg is growing. It then ruptures with ovulation and the egg escapes. But some of those endometrial cells get inside that cyst. And so the corpus luteum is this fat, lush environment with lots of blood and endometriosis loves it there. So once it gets into that little corpus luteum, it takes over, it becomes an endometrioma and it's never going to go away. Once you have an endometrioma, not going away. Therefore, it can sometimes be tough to say if something's an endometrioma or a corpus luteum on just a one-time look. I might tell somebody, hey, based on where you are in your cycle, I cannot tell if this is an endometrioma or a corpus luteum. We'll do another ultrasound after your next period, and then I will be able to know, is it a corpus luteum or is it endometriosis? Or I'll put you on birth control pills and we'll monitor in a month, or I'll have some type of follow-up plan. Now, if you're not ovulating because you're on birth control pills, then you, one, are decreasing the chance that an endometrioma can form because a follicle is not growing and rupturing. So decreasing ovulatory cycles is one way that we help prevent somebody from getting endometriomas if we know or suspect that they have endometriosis. 
So just something to keep in mind about why we sometimes like birth control pills for endometriosis. Endometriomas are similar to dermoids when it comes to do you remove them or not. For the most part, if they're not causing you significant amount of pain and you're wanting to get pregnant, we tend to leave them in place. Removing endometriomas does remove some of your follicles and will drop your follicle count or your ovarian reserve. If you're actively going through fertility treatments, we tend to leave them in place, stimulate extra growth around them. If you have significant pain or they're growing to be very large, then sometimes we do consider getting them surgically removed with the same rules applying, meaning if it's extremely large and the remaining ovarian tissue is destroyed, you might walk away losing the entire ovary. And that's a risk of going into a surgery with a cyst like these. And then we have cysts that come from the other structures of the ovary, which sometimes could be cancerous or may not be. And we tend to think of these as we want to think about the tissues of the ovary and the outside of the ovaries called the epithelium. And this is typically where we are getting most of our tumors that potentially could be cancerous. So most of them are benign, and these are considered cyst adenoma is a common one. These can be filled with serous fluid or even mucus, but essentially they're totally benign. They just weren't abnormal growth of cells from the outer lining of the ovary. However, because you may not be able to tell just from imaging, the recommendation may be to remove a benign-looking ovarian tumor if it's not clearly an endometrioma, a dermoid, or functional cyst, just to make sure that it is not malignant. There's also ovarian cysts that are called borderline. These can previously also were called low malignant potential or LMP, but borderline means they're atypical. They have some features that may mimic cancer. They tend to affect people who are a little bit younger. They're usually slower growing and less life-threatening, but you would want to follow up and be monitored closely. And then you have malignant ovarian tumors and what we think of as ovarian cancer. About 90% of ovarian cancer is due to these epithelial ovarian carcinomas. These have very similar features when you look at them in the lab that they can tell what this is and what it's not. Most of them are serous, which means it has serum inside, and they're graded by how abnormal the cells take and then how much invasion there is through the capsule to other structures, etc. Now, because of this, if you have a cyst that's not clearly a dermoid, an endometrioma, or a functional cyst, it may be monitored. And if it's growing in size or based on your prognosis, the recommendation may be to take it out. Notably, they want to look at it under the microscope. That's how you diagnose cancer. So you can sometimes look at something and say, this looks highly abnormal. I'm very scared that this could be cancerous. And sometimes you look at it and you just don't know. And the safest scenario, if you can't determine what it is, is going to be to take it out and let somebody who's a specialist look at it under the microscope. That is the answer there. Now, because of functional cysts and how people get imaging all the time based on abdominal pain or other complaints, what we know is that cysts are more concerning for us if you're not menstruating. So if you're not ovulating, so if you're a young person who's not started your period yet, or you've already gone through menopause, then we're more concerned, or if the cyst is large and it does not go away. So even though most of the time people go and we take a cyst out, it ends up not being cancerous due to the risk and what it means to have ovarian cancer and how terrible that is, the conservative approach is if it's growing, not going away, you're at the extremes of age where it can't clearly be identified as something else, 
the most conservative approach is going to be to take it out. And hopefully you get it removed when it's still small enough not to require resection of the entire ovary. So these are things that if you're found to have a cyst, you want to have a clear plan. What type of cyst does this look like? Do you think this is a functional cyst? When should my follow-up be? Do I need repeat imaging? Can I still do fertility treatments with this cyst in place? Is this cyst going to cause pain? What are warning signs? So those are questions you want to be able to ask your doctor. You don't want to be just told you have a cyst and ignore it. You want a clear game plan. Even though the vast majority of these are never going to be cancerous, we would always rather be safer than fall into the position of wishing we'd done something different. Well, I hope that helped you understand ovarian cysts a little bit better and what is normal and what is not. Now I want to break into everybody's favorite segment, it seems like, FFS for fertility's sake, answering your fertility questions every week. As a reminder, follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. I put up a question box for FFS every Monday where you can ask your questions. Some of them I'll answer on Instagram that day and others will be saved and answered here. So stay tuned every week to see if your question is answered. All right, question number one, is it common or normal to have really abnormal periods after an egg retrieval? So remember that an egg retrieval is how we get the eggs out with IVF or egg freezing. During this process, you are taking hormone shots of FSH, that same hormone that normally stimulates one egg to grow, but in much higher doses, hoping to get all of those eggs to grow. What is happening is all those eggs are making estrogen and estrogen is growing the lining of the uterus. And so when you have that first period after that IVF cycle, you're definitely going to have a heavier, more crampy period than normal. Depending on your protocol, you may get that period anywhere from 7 to 14 days after that egg retrieval. From there, your periods really should not be that abnormal. You might get an abnormal one one month later, depending on the protocol you used, but you should not then go and have irregular periods if they were regular before. And if that has happened to you, you should definitely talk to your doctor. Question number two. Do you always get symptoms during implantation or do some women not notice anything? Great question. I have an entire episode on implantation. Some women notice nothing. They have zero signs. They are convinced that they must not be pregnant. There's not any, you know, cramping, bleeding, breast tenderness, smell changes, nothing, but they end up being pregnant. So every person and every pregnancy is different. So just because you don't notice implantation symptoms does not mean that you are in fact not pregnant. Number three, recently got diagnosed with POI. I'm 30 years old. What questions do I ask my fertility doctor? POI is premature ovarian insufficiency, and this is essentially premature menopause. So age 30 is a devastating time to get this diagnosis. I've certainly diagnosed this in people by labs. They come off birth control, have no periods, and we find out they're out of eggs, or they randomly stopped having periods, and we go and check your hormones, and you're in menopause. Schedule an appointment with a fertility doctor right away. What you want to know is, are you trying to get pregnant or not? Sometimes you might want to try to get pregnant. And I have had some patients where if I put them on estrogen supplementation, they might randomly have a few irregular ovulations. And that may be something worth trying. You also can sometimes, if you're early in the diagnosis, still elicit a response with stimulation meds to try to do egg freezing or IVF, understanding you're going to get very few eggs, but sometimes this is better than nothing. If you're not looking to get pregnant or don't have the resources for that, number one, you need estrogen. 
One of the things about being in premature menopause is that your ovaries are no longer making estrogen. Therefore, you're estrogen deficient and you're going to have those symptoms, which can be headache, fatigue, insomnia, vaginal dryness, lack of libido, and overall having a trouble concentrating, memory trouble, and not feeling like yourself. Estrogen will fix that. At a minimum, you need hormone replacement. Also to know is you can still carry a baby even if you have POI. It just may not be able to be genetically related to you. Donor eggs can be a wonderful way to conceive. They're not most people's first line way of what they think they'll have with their family, but they are a beautiful way to allow you to experience pregnancy and give birth. You can still breastfeed and all that stuff like normal if you want. Just the genetic code comes from somebody else. Ultimately, if your goal is to have a family, you can still achieve it. It just may look a little bit different. Question four, my cycle is consistently 20 to 22 days long. Is that too short? It does make me concerned and it could be perfectly normal. It could just be what's normal for you. But warning signs for me would be if your period used to be longer and now is shorter or if you haven't had any type of evaluation. So at a minimum, what is your egg count? If you're running out of eggs, sometimes your periods will be shorter or closer together. Number two, have you had your thyroid and your pituitary or your prolactin checked? Those are going to be some of the top causes of having irregular periods or short cycles. So if this is your cycle, please talk to your OBGYN just to make sure that you're not having a medical or physical reason why this is happening. So I would recommend an AMH blood test, a TSH for your thyroid, and a prolactin to check the prolactin from your pituitary gland. And if everything came back normal, then this is just you and that's totally fine. All right. And last question, thoughts on maca root for fertility. I do not recommend maca. I do not like it. It has some estrogen-like properties. And whenever you're taking something that can have estrogen-like properties, that can interfere with the brain's normal signals. Remember that the brain and the ovary have a delicate balance of signals that is used in order to grow an egg, to ovulate, to make hormones. And when you're taking something that might cause the brain to send out a lower amount of FSH, you may interfere with that process or interfere with how the brain sends out FSH or LH. So if somebody's taking maca and they come to me, it's one of the first things I do is say, no more of that medication. A quick reminder, if you want to ask a question, follow along at Natalie Crawford MD Instagram. We have a Q&A every Monday. I'll answer some questions there and others will be answered here on the podcast every week. Thank you all for listening to As A Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. Hey guys, welcome to The Collective. I'm Brian Halfrich, a 26-year-old bioethics PhD student and clothing brand CEO. Welcome to my podcast where we talk all things health and wellness, navigating your 20s, and becoming the best version of yourself. So sit down, play that episode, and join The Collective.